Thanks for joining us here at AG Kolkata. We are the church with the open arms and we serve in the city of joy. If you would like to learn more about us, you can simply go to www.agkolkata.org. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Good morning, friends. Our prayer through this year is Holy Spirit, come breathe on us. Amen. The promise of the Holy Spirit's coming is accompanied by a promise of power. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which I'm sure you've heard quoted many times before, is the promise of Jesus concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus gave that promise, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. But there is a close connection between the Holy Spirit and the promise of power. But power of any kind, whether it's power that comes with one's position, and by that, by position, I don't just mean president, prime minister, governor, so on and so forth. I mean your position as father and husband in the house, starting from there. Or your position as a prefect in the school, if you're a, a young person. We all have spheres of influence and have positions. But whether it's the power of your position, whether it's the power of wealth, if you're a wealthy person. If it's the power of a political office or the power of knowledge. We know in these days particularly, knowledge more than ever is power. Or it's the power that comes with your relationship with the Holy Spirit, spiritual power. Power that babas, witch doctors, gurus, evangelists, pastors, priests wield. Spiritual power. Well, power of all these kinds can be used for good or for evil. It's neutral in itself. On one hand, power, when it's accompanied with character, thank you, sir, can be used for great good. But absence of character and accountability can result in the evil abuse of power. And so today, we want to look at this contrast, the difference between the use of power and the abuse of power. And I want us to apply it to our lives. Every one of us here, please look at me. You may think you don't have power, you have power. From the power of the gifts and talents God has given you. Some of you are good looking, that, that's power. Some of you have PhDs, MBAs, that's power. All of you have relationships and those are instruments of power. Now you can use that power for good in, in, uh, with good in, intent and with good in, ends in mind or you can abuse it. And we are going to look at it 
in the Bible in the lives of two anointed servants of God. Two men who received God's anointing. One used it to abuse power, the power of God, and the other used it to advance the purpose of God. And we're going to look at it in the lives of these two servants, King Saul and the prophet Moses. And so to begin with, just to dive in, we're going to look at a passage, one relating to the ministry of King Saul or the anointing of King Saul and the other to the prophet Moses. So Saul, let's look at the account of Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and I'm reading selectively verses 1, 6, 9 and 10. Okay, you're welcome to join with me as I read it. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Verse 6. The spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them. And you will be changed into a different person. Verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he joined in their prophesying. I read that passage so you will first of all see Saul's ceremonial anointing as the first king of Israel. A flask of oil was poured over his head as a symbolic visible gesture. And on the other hand, we see that there was a spiritual anointing you know, the Spirit of God came upon him powerfully, giving him authority and power for his role as the first king of Israel. Now, Saul's early actions clearly showed that God's power was at work in his leadership as king. He won many victories for Israel. But as we saw in the life of Samson, those of you who may have been here two weeks ago, we looked at the life of Samson. Saul's anointing, and it's true of anyone's anointing, did not guarantee his effectiveness or his lasting impact as a leader. Very important for us all to understand this, especially those of us who have been walking with the Lord for many years. You have the fre there was a time you had the freshness of God's anointing on your life and you were excited with the gifts, how God began to use you. And after some time you got into the groove. And now you do it. And in a sense, whether God comes through or not, you can still do it. We see this happening in the life of King Saul. With time, he was led into disobedience and the sin of pride leading to his ultimate downfall. And so we're going to look at Saul as a classic illustration of a leader's abuse of power. Now Saul's case is in sharp contrast with another anointed Old Testament leader who is a tremendous illustration of the right use of power. Let's look at the 
anointing of Moses and not just his anointing, but how Moses used the power God gave to him. It's in Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. Let's read this together, okay? Obviously, I'm reading selectively, but uh, if those of you who are taking notes, you can go home and fill in the gaps. Okay, but here the Lord says to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. Notice. And I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. We see Moses' use of God's anointing upon his life. Now get this, friends. The anointing is God's enabling power. It has little or nothing to do with Yours and mine personal achievement. There's a place for learning. There's a place for training. But the anointing has little or nothing to do with your own effort. It is God's enabling power that equips us with gifts and service. Uh, gifts for service. Now a gift is not something you've earned. It's something you've received that you don't deserve. And so the anointing equips us with gifts and abilities for service, And what we want to look at the rest of this time in, in this message is what makes the difference between the leader who uses gifts and abilities, who uses the power that God gives him or her, and the one who abuses the gifts and power given to him or her. And I'm sure there are many contrasts. But I want to highlight the three key contrasts between the abuse of power and the good, proper use of power. The first contrast we see in the life of Saul and Moses is the difference between being proud and being humble. The difference between pride and humility. Saul is a classic illustration of the first. He begins well. In fact, he's described as the tallest and most handsome man in all of Israel. Saul had the kind of personality which made everybody turn and look, especially the young ladies. He's tall, he's handsome, he's strong. Wow. And interestingly, at first, it seems like he avoided the limelight. He tried to, at least. But, and we see this played over and over again, don't we? As his popularity grew with time. And why did his popularity grow? The anointing of God helped him to, uh, to have many military successes. And with every success, as his popularity grew, he became suddenly more and more Arrogant and full of pride. Here is the irony. He is somewhat humble to begin with. 
God gives him gifts. He uses those gifts. He wins victories through God's enablement. And suddenly, with time, he begins to think, wow, I'm somebody. Things are happening. I have this position. God chose me as king and God is giving me these victories. And he became proud. The Hebrew word for proud, uh, for pride rather, is very interesting. It suggests the idea of lifting oneself up to a position that should only be held by God himself. That's the unpacking of the Hebrew word for pride. Lifting oneself up. And lifting oneself up to a position above everybody else that should only be held by God himself. And we see this playing out in the life of Saul. And we only have time to give a few illustrations this morning. In 1 Samuel 13, Saul is under threat from the Philistine army. And the Israelites are nervous. And, uh, and he's waiting for Samuel to come and perform the ritual sacrifice so that they will be prepared to go out and face the Philistine army. Keep in mind, Saul has already won many victories. And uh, however, his victories were a result of God's blessing and uh, as a prelude to God's blessing, worship was an integral part of their preparation. But now he's impatient. He's waiting up and down. Where is this prophet Samuel? He should be. I want to go out and fight, man. So what was essential in the early part of his life now becomes perfunctory. You know, it's, it's a routine. It's, a, it's just a form. And he says, hey, let's get it. Samuel's late. Let's, let's get it over and done with. And so... He presumptuously goes ahead and performs what was not his job at all as king. It was, the, it was the prerogative of the priest. Only the priest was allowed to perform the sacrifice. Samuel being a priest and prophet was authorized to offer the sacrifice. And he said, Samuel is late in coming. He went ahead with the sacrifice. I don't know how many of you have heard of a great man of God called David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson was the one who founded the movement that is today Teen Challenge all over the world, hundreds of cities, a ministry called Teen Challenge. David Wilkerson was the founder. Wonderful man of God, prophetic in his ministry. He went to be with the Lord a short while ago. But I'm quoting from his words concerning pride. He says, pride is an unwillingness to wait for God to act in his own time and in his own way. And he uses a few other phrases. Pride is getting ahead of God. Impatience. I wonder if you've ever been there sometime. You pray, you get a word from God. God says he's going to do this. And you wait. 
and after some time you think maybe god needs some help <laughs> yes i've been there god why aren't you coming through and if you don't come through i'm going to go ahead with this we get into a business deal or we get into excuse me for saying this young men young women impatient about getting married i don't know how many young people i've seen make this mistake i want to get married the right person doesn't seem to be coming along so then you decide hey god regardless of what you say i'm going to do this pastor i waited so long i am not sure this is the right person but i'm going to go ahead with it i don't know how many times i've seen ending up in shipwreck it's pride that makes us run ahead of god we think god you're not moving fast enough lord you don't really understand what my need is so i'm going to show you another occasion following his victory over the amalekites a formidable army of amalekites saul had received a specific command from samuel but what to do post victory this was god's word and samuel just does his own thing he refuses to listen to what god has said and he goes ahead and does his own thing and he makes it sound like you know his excuse makes it sound like he's actually doing god a favor god had told him you must wipe out all of the plunder of your 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 uh the the victory of your war and there was a reason for that we don't have time to go into it this morning but when samuel comes and says what is the bleating of goats what is this i hear you've not obeyed the lord and saul comes up he says you know what i saved this for god god never asked you to save anything we have a famous statement there samuel uh, gives saul which is a which is a by the way a cardinal principle of spiritual maturity samuel tells saul obedience is better than sacrifice obedience is better than sacrifice and but then as we read the account we 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 understand what was really going on something deeper than just you know what god asked me to do this but i don't think it's a good idea well that's bad enough but listen to first samuel 15:12 what was really going on in saul's heart early in the morning samuel got up and went to meet with saul he has an appointment by the way and when he shows up to the appointed place he was told saul has gone to carmel why please note read with me there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to gilgal you see where the humble saul has landed up the victory that he won was because of god's anointing god's enablement and in place of worship of god being a priority which he is now constantly shortchanging messing up he's focused on building a monument in his own honor get this my friends especially my young friends 
There are, there are many sins I could list from this pulpit this morning. But pride is at the very top of things that God hates. You get it? And I'll tell you why. It's the one sin that can get into the heart of a person at the pinnacle of their spiritual accomplishment. You get it? At a time when lust doesn't bother you, you'll never be accused of murder or, or uh, robbery or any of these other things. The one thing that can enter your heart when everything else is right and you're at the spiritual peak, I mean, you're, you're, a great, you know, you're a great spokesperson for God. You're a great worship leader. You're a great care group leader. You have many of the gifts of the Spirit working through your life and you're, you're a star performer in God's kingdom. That's the one time pride can enter your heart, which is why it's the very top of things that God hates. It, it's something that comes to you not when you're down. It comes to you when you're successful. In business, in your family life, in your career, in the things of God, you're successful at the peak. Why God hates it. And this was the main reason for Saul's downfall. You've heard this famous saying, I'm sure. But it bears reminder. Power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's the summary of Saul's life and his downfall. When you come to the place where you are, are in, a, you will not listen to anyone. I'm telling you it can happen to men and women of God. Mightily used of God. And they say, you know, this is what God is telling me and you know it's not God. But they refuse to listen because of arrogance and pride. The enemy has got you where he wants you because your pride has made you absolutely unaccountable. You don't, don't want to hear any, nobody else can speak into your life because you think you have a hotline to God and no one else can get in there. Let's contrast this now, Saul's pride with Moses, who was also chosen anointed and anointed by God. When he has that burning bush experience when he's in the wilderness. Remember? And God speaks to him and says, Hey Moses, come on, I've got a job for you to do. Notice Moses' response. God, this is in Exodus 3, by the way. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Hey, Moses, you grew up in Pharaoh's palace. There's no one else in all of Israel more qualified than you. Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And verse 13 of chapter 4. Lord, please send someone else. No wonder a tribute is paid to Moses that is paid, or paid to no one else in all of the Bible. That is in Numbers chapter 12 verse 3. Read it with me. Now Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Incidentally, Moses wasn't always like this. Huh? There was a time when he was fresh 
out from Pharaoh's palace. Okay, he was trained as an Egyptian warrior. He's come out from the University of Egypt, well-educated. He knows it all. He has a quick solution to any problem. You know what happens, don't you? Okay, he comes out ready to save the nation of Israel, and he finds an Egyptian beating uh, uh, one of his Hebrew brothers. And you know what his solution is? Quick solution. Pulls out his sword and kills the guy. And of course, the next day, he's running for his life. But now, he's different. Choose anyone but me, Lord. That's why God describes him as the most humble man on the face of the earth. And this word humble in the Hebrew, hano, is a very interesting word. It's not just an internal attitude, although that is involved. It means lowly, a person who is lowly, humble, because he's, he's been put down and despised by others. Weak due to lack of resources or power. So a humble man is not somebody who is necessarily, you know, just uh, all the time self-depreciating. But he's the kind of person you walk by. Insignificant. Unimpressive. No pretensions. You just walk by him in a corner. Who are you? In contrast to the man or woman who, you know, you met, you met that kind of, do you know who I am? You've ever faced that? A humble man will never ask that question because he doesn't think much of himself or herself anyway. Listen to what John Goldingay, the very well-known Old Testament scholar says what this means. When, it, when the scripture records Moses as the humblest man on the face of the earth, he said what this meant was that Moses was just the most ordinary of men of whom God made extraordinary demands and on whom his people put extraordinary pressures. So when you follow Moses' life, he's always saying, you know what, I was not cut out for this. But God, why did you call me for this job? And the people have expectations that he feels like, hey, guys, you're asking me something that I have no equipment to deliver. The most ordinary of men, of whom God made extraordinary demands, and on whom his people put extraordinary pressures. Don't raise your hand. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. The burden is too great. What have you called me to? When you read Moses' his, uh, life, especially the bit of his journey, uh, when he is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, you kind of often feel sorry for him. You know why? He is the leader of the most critical, rebellious, immoral, disobedient, ungrateful group of people any leader could be called to lead in history. I mean, it, you can't believe it. Ten 
supernatural plagues. God delivers them. These are people who walk through dry land, seeing the Red Sea walls on either side. God has parted it for them, man. They've stood near the mountain of God and, and had a direct glimpse of God's supernatural power when he came down on Mount Sinai as the, and their legs trembled. These people have seen all that and within a few days, they're worshipping a golden calf. God gives them manna from heaven. And in a few days, they say, hey, this is boring, yeah, same menu. We loved the leeks and cucumbers of Egypt. You were slaves there, guys. They beat you. Your backs were bleeding. Does it sound like me sometimes? Huh? Lord, it looks it was so much better when I did not wasn't following you, Lord. Look at all the trials and testings I have now. You forget the sickness God healed you from. You forget the problems God has dealt with. You forget his grace. And so anyway, time comes, it's interesting. God has had enough. On more than one occasion, God offers to just wipe out this, this rebellious people. He tells Moses, you know what? I've had enough. Let, let me just read the verse for you, okay? Exodus 32 verse 10. Moses, this is God speaking to Moses. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Stop. Put yourself in Moses' shoes, okay? Tell me, isn't that an incredibly attractive proposition? God says, you know what? No change of purpose, Moses. Okay? I still am going to, to fulfill my purpose. But the plan has changed. I'm going to ditch these guys. And start all over again. And guess what? You are going to be most important person in this. You are going to be the VIP. Forget about the rebellious children of Abraham. Let's start afresh with the children of Moses. You can be the new Abraham. The father of a new nation. Your own nation. What would you do? Some of you are smiling. I'll be honest with you. I know what I would do. <laughs> Thank goodness. Lord, it came from you, not from me. You know what Moses' response is? No way, God. You know why? This whole deal was never about me in the first place. This was always about you. And these people. Huh, your people. And you know what he says in this beautiful intercession? He says, God, it's about your name. What will the nation say if you do this? What will they say about you, God? And what about these people? Even though they're rebellious, ungrateful, stubborn, they are your people. No wonder he is the humblest man on the face of the earth. 
the best leaders, hear this now, my brothers and sisters, the best leaders are the, often the most reluctant leaders. And those who lust after the power and status, waiting for the next title, are usually the worst leaders. You know, Moses is regarded as one of the greatest leaders of all time by secular historians, not just people who are Bible students. Secular historians regard him as one of the greatest of leaders of all time. And yet, he was the humblest of all people on the face of the earth, a humble servant. Now, let me just summarize the difference, friends. This is a big point. The difference between those who abuse power and who use power for good. Summary difference is in the words of James chapter 4 verse 6. God opposes the proud. Gives grace to the humble. Leaders who abuse power. Often, usually, always proud. And God, they meet with God's resistance. Those who God endures with power. By the way, both can start off with God's power, by the way. Huh? Both. Leaders who become proud because they don't recognize where the source of their power is. But leaders and people who always recognize this is not mine, it's your power. And I walk humbly before God. God gives them grace. Amen. That's the first major contrast. The second, the difference between Saul and Moses is the difference between an insecure leader and an empowering leader. Saul's greatest weakness was his insecurity. Incidentally, it's his insecurity that made him proud and arrogant. But his greatest weakness was insecurity. And we see it surface almost immediately. God raises up a new leader to take Saul's place. King David emerges on the scene. Some of you may remember the background. David has killed Goliath. And the Israelite army is returning from that victory. Because King Saul is leading the procession as any king would. And the women of Israel come out singing and dancing for joy. With tambourines and cymbals. By the way, that's why we have tambourines and cymbals of the 21st century here. Okay, When people say, why do you have so much music? So much, isn't it noisy? Well, you know, God is not afraid of noise, by the way. So anyway, the women come out with tambourines, cymbals, rejoicing. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But notice their song. You know what they sang? 1 Samuel 18, verses 7 and 9 tells us what their song is. Saul has killed his thousands. David his ten thousands. The song means they kept repeating the chorus. Saul has killed his thousands. David is ten thousands. Let's read on. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they will be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on 
David. Watch these twins, sisters or brothers, okay? There's a sympathetic relationship between these two. Who are they? Insecurity and jealousy. They go together always. And you know as well as I do, if you've been a victim of it, it's a terrible, deadly poison. Your place of work, if you have a colleague who's jealous, I pray for you. Worse, if your boss is jealous of you, my goodness. And if by chance you're at a family where your spouse is jealous of you, come to the altar and talk to me this morning, okay? I might even fast and pray for you. Believe it or not, occasionally you have parents jealous of their children too, you know? That's how deadly, how evil jealousy is and it stems from insecurity. And so we see as you follow the life of King Saul, he's from that point onwards blinded by jealousy, obsessed with rage, so much so he tries to kill David not once, twice, several times. Even though David, at least on two occasions, comes near enough to kill him but doesn't do it. You would think that would cure this man's jealousy. No. He's so obsessed with jealousy and insecurity that on occasion when his son Jonathan, who by the way is very close to David, who loves David as a brother, doesn't mind David ascending the throne after his father. Saul is so mad with him, he even tries to kill his own son for befriending David. That is how deadly jealousy is. And in this case, it's the birth child or sister, twin sister of Saul's deep insecurity. I want to contrast this with Moses very quickly. We read the first part of this passage in our opening uh, words opening passage is that I read to this message, but it goes on in Numbers 11 verses 24 and 25. After the spirit has been spread out to the 70 elders. So Moses brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the part of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. And what you see a little uh, further down in this passage is that there were a couple of guys outside the tent. The Holy Spirit fell on them and they began to prophesy. And Joshua gets really upset about it. Joshua is Moses' uh, you know, adjutant and successor. He says, stop them. They're not part of our camp. Stop them. And Moses says, why are you jealous for me? But if God wants to pour out the Spirit upon them, let him. What we see here is Moses the empowering leader who's totally secure as a person. He, he, when he understood the heart of the whole matter, which is this anointing, the power is not mine. Hear me. Every warm body in this audience you may be the most handsome or beautiful person on the planet. What did you do to get those looks? I'm starting from there. You may be the most gifted person musically. In your career, you may be an A plus student. First, What did you do? Yes, I worked hard. Yes, but if you didn't have 
the right genes. If you didn't have the gifts God has given you. Taking it closer home. I wouldn't be standing here. No one can exercise a single spiritual gift that is, belongs to us. It all comes from him. Yes, Moses recognized that this power is not mine. It comes from God. Success is not mine. It comes from God. And whatever anointing God has given me, whatever gifts God has given me are meant to advance God's purposes. Not meant for my benefit. Paul, Saul missed that. Moses got it. This blessing, this anointing must be shared. It must be given away. Note the quality of a secure, empowering leader. Moses knew who he was in God. His relationship with God was so strong, so deep. You know what God says of him? <clears throat> you know, we are used to telling people, trust in God. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in You know what God says of Moses? This is a man I trust. How about that? Isn't that the ultimate compliment? When God looks at you and he says, you are someone I trust. That is the depth of this man's relationship with God. God said, I speak to him face to face. You know, I speak to prophets. Through visions, dreams, so on. With Moses, no, no, no. I have a direct contact with Moses. This is not Moses' claim. This is what God says about Moses. So Moses knew who he was in God. And guess what? When you know who you are in God, you know the gifts and calling God has given you. You don't have to feel insecure. There's no room for jealousy. When God bestows gifts on someone else and raises up someone else. You don't have to be insecure. You know who you are in God. And in fact, you will celebrate when God begins to give gifts to others, begins to use others. When God begins to bless others, you celebrate. You rejoice with them because you are secure in who you are and in what God has given you. Amen? I don't mind telling you that my wife and I as pastors, this is a driving force in our lives. We want everyone around us to do better. To rise higher. To go farther than I ever will. And I pray that every person within the sound of my voice will have that posture to all of our relationships. Your friends, your colleagues, your relatives. When God blesses them, either materially or with gifts, or they go higher, celebrate, rejoice, say, wow, that's wonderful. Let me give you just one, uh, as I move, before I move to my last point, just share this tidbit with you, okay? This is my discovery in my spiritual journey. To me, it captures a very important spiritual truth. And I'm going to share it with you because this is what is our take home from Moses' life. Please read, it, read this with me. 
Nothing. No one can take away anything from me that God wants me to have. Stop there, okay? <laughs> that has to be a conviction inside of you. If you, if you believe in an all-powerful God, all-loving God, nothing, no one can take away anything from me that God wants me to have. Okay, let's read on. If someone can take something away from me, then God doesn't want me to have it. So if somebody succeeds in taking away something, say, God bless you, take it. You know why? If God doesn't want me to have it, I don't want it. It's probably not good for you. You think it is good for you. You think it's a blessing. That applies to wealth. That applies to position. That applies to gifts. That applies to anything. When it may seem like a loss. It may seem like a pain. But get it from me. If you are secure in God, you will never, never hold on to anything so tight that even God can't take it away from you. Okay, let me move on quickly to my concluding point, okay? What have we seen? The difference between leaders that abuse and leaders that use God's gifts for good. Differences between the persons who are proud or humble, persons who are insecure or empowering. Okay, finally, the difference between Saul and Moses is the difference between self-sufficiency and God-dependence. <laughs> Saul, of course, had many problems. But one of his biggest problems was, although God's spirit had anointed him, after some time, he started doing things in his own strength. I sometimes tell my fellow ministers, pastors, pastoral team, let's never get to the place where you know, even if God doesn't show up, the show can go on. Very dangerous. <coughs> Excuse me. Saul had come to that place. I don't need Samuel to do the sacrifice. I don't need God's blessings for this. I don't need to follow God's instructions. I have won this battle. I've done this before. I've got this. Saul. You may think you've got this. But God doesn't expect you to get it. To hold on to it. It's God's business. Self-sufficient. You ever in a situation in life where you may not have said it out loud, but basically, you know, God, I, I don't really need your help for this. I can manage this. Careful. Saul may have started off small. He eventually came to the place where he built a monument to himself. Contrast with Moses. I want to quickly wrap this up, friends. Thank you for your patience. As you know, Israelites regularly complained and whined. Regularly. They were pathological complainers. On one of the many occasions when the people of Israel are whining and complaining, we see Moses' prayer. Okay, I want, to, I want us to read it together and I want you to see how spiritual it is, okay? Let's read Numbers 11, 
selectively from verses 11 onward. It will come up on the screen, so read it with me. This is his prayer. He's not talking to his friend. He's not talking to his spouse, his partner, business partner. He's talking to God. Moses is talking to God. What does he say? Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into this world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me, God. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? Man, God said, I speak to him face to face. Honest to God, man. Okay, sometimes we think if a prayer has to be good, it has to be full of thys and thous and full of, you know, scripture quotations, which it's good to have scripture quotations. But friends, God is not impressed with how spiritual, theological your prayers are, how spiritual you are when you pray. He wants it to come from where you are, from your gut. But listen, listen to this prayer. As you look at this prayer, think to myself, you know, Moses was a great leader, wasn't he? But this is not the confidence of an alpha male Jack Welch type of leader. It doesn't sound like a cool, confident James Bond, you know. He knows exactly what he's going to do. No, this is a man who doesn't have a clue what he's going to do. This is a man who he's leading these million odd people and basically he's in a position where if God doesn't come through, he has no plan. He's totally, completely, absolutely God dependent. I told you, this was not the old Moses. 40 years ago, he had all the solutions. But now we see a different Moses. And you know what this Moses is as you read through the book of Numbers. Numbers 14 verse 4. Numbers 16 verse 5. Numbers 16 verse 22. Numbers 20 verse 6. Pastor, what are all these verses? Go and look at them. Those are a few of the occasions when you see Moses flat on his face. Most of the time, he's flat on his face before God. He knew what God has given him to do is far beyond his ability. And only the power of God could make it happen. Hear me now. Whoever you are, wherever you are, if you're in a situation where you feel powerless, that is precisely the place and the opportunity where God is willing to step in and work. He's not with the self-sufficient. He's not with the confident, overconfident leaders. He's not with the self-sufficient people who have it all together. When you fall on your face before God, and say, God, I can't do it without you. I need you. I may be educated in the University of Egypt. I may have all the training that I need. 
I may even have promises and resources. But without you, Lord, I can't do it. Yes, as the musicians come and altar workers, pastors come, I want you to just learn this verse by heart that I'm about to give you, friends. Zechariah 4, 6. <laughs> Over the last hundred years, this has become the slogan of the Assemblies of God worldwide. It summarizes why hundred years, and this is not a brag, okay? We don't say too much about the Assemblies of God from this, from this uh, pulpit. God loves every believer, whatever, whatever the label, whichever the denomination. But this verse that I want you to read with me says, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Lord, whether it's my business, whether it's my home, whether it's my career, whether it's the challenges I face as a care group leader, Lord, I'm totally, completely dependent on you. The greatest president of the United States, we all know, was Abraham Lincoln. And he said these words which have sort of become immortal. He said, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. You have power. My sister, my brother. You have power. Did you hear what I said? You have power. By the fact that you have standing, breathing, living, you have power. The question is, how are you using that power? I have received from you, Lord. Keep me humble. Protect me from pride. Make me an empowering person. Every relationship that I have, I, Lord, I will be free of insecurity, jealousy. I'll pour into every relationship and make the person who comes in contact with my life a better, stronger person. And Lord, never, 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 ever let me become self-sufficient. I want always ever especially when I experience success when I'm on the pinnacle of success keep me flat on my face before you thanks for listening to this message from AG Kolkata we would love to know how this message has touched your life please take a moment to share your story by emailing us at stories at agkolkata.org we would also be grateful if you would take a moment to rate us on iTunes. Hope you have a great week ahead.